Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we have a show, well, it's it's a show full of vital information for anyone who's tuning in today, whether you're in the heart of Indian country or whether you're anywhere else on the planet. We're talking about something that relates to our children, relates to mental health, relates to the crisis that we're dealing with globally when it comes to suicide. And our guest is someone who is impeccably qualified to speak about it, Lori Wildenberg. It is great to have you with us on our show. Thanks, David. I'm very glad to be here. Lori, you not only have the professional training, you're a licensed uh, parent and family educator, you're an author, but even more than that, you have personal experience when it comes to this topic. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, sadly, sadly I do. Um, One of my kiddos has wrestled with um, depression and uh, in her senior year of college, she Um, she had a failed suicide attempt, praise, praise God. She had a failed suicide attempt. Mm. It was failed, but, um, that was, a a pretty big wake up call. Um, we knew that she was wrestling with depression and I guess we weren't quite as sure that she was that deep into it. Um, there are a lot of a lot of people when they're wrestling with this stuff are pretty good hiders and they can mask that pretty well. So um, this is a huge topic and it's, it's one that really touches my heart and, um, and my daughter's heart. She's actually um, has helped me. I, she helped me put together this book, Messy Hope, Help Your Child Overcome Anxiety, Depression, or Suicidal Ideation, because she's passionate also about helping people. And we've got to get the word out. This is crisis proportions. And and because of our personal experience, we feel motivated to help others. I love the story that you've shared, not because of the tragedy that's been involved, but because you have taken that tragedy, both you and your daughter, and have channeled it into making a difference for people. And we're so glad that you're sharing it with my listening audience today, Laurie. Uh, I think, you know, you set the stage so beautifully because um, sometimes that first suicide attempt is not uh, a failed attempt. And so many parents just feel blindsided that, yeah, they knew their kid was struggling, but you know, how come there wasn't more warning? So speak to us about this whole, uh, you know, whole continuum, if you will, anxiety, depression. And then when you get to suicide, it can be, uh, you know, a completed suicide and final too late, but we don't want it to get there. So give us some insights into what we need to know as community members, as tribal elders, as family members, as parents, grandparents, whatever it might be. Yes, the community needs to be aware, doesn't it? and loved ones and friends, we have to be aware. So the first thing, well, anxiety and depression are often linked. So if a person has one, 
there is a very good chance that they have the other. And anxiety might be a little bit, sometimes it's a little easier to pick out because there's more more physical symptoms on display. Depression, on the other hand, is sometimes harder to pick out. And so um, we're going to talk about that a little bit, I think would be really helpful to to focus in on the warning signs of, of depression, because depression untreated can, doesn't always, but it can lead to suicide. And David, here's the thing. Depression can be treated. We mm-hmm. can treat this. So here are a few things to watch out for. Someone who is isolating themselves, uh, separating from friendships. Those, those are some big, in relationships, those are some big clues that something could be going on. Um, uh, there was a Miss um, USA, you may have heard of her, Chelsea Christ. She just recently took her life and she had separated from really all of her friends. She had really isolated herself. Um, And my daughter was doing some of those same things. Um, Chelsea also mentioned she had left a a text message for her mom. Um, And that has just recently been released. It's very sad to read it, but it, it also brings up some of the warning signs in there and that she was crying every night. My daughter, the same thing. So watch for crying every night, watch for isolation. Um, Another indicator, which is kind of a strange one, but if your, your child or your loved one's living space or room is really messy, like extraordinarily messy, Hmm. that's kind of indicates what's going on emotionally with them, not being able to make decisions Um, not being able to follow through with some things. Those are also some indicators. Well, these are great to be aware of, you know, some of these, uh, you know, red flags that should get our attention. But I think one of the challenges is with depression, with the development of anything mental health wise, it's often like the growth of our children. I mean, you don't see your children often growing from one day to the next. And I think sometimes these things seem to happen insidiously. And as things slide, you kind of just think maybe that's, you know, we use this term a lot, the new normal, but it can happen in the mental health arena with our families, right? Yes. Oh, it isn't normal for us to be having these mental health issues. This isn't normal. And David, that's exactly right. This is what it's being called the new normal, the increase in mental illness. And well, you probably know this. Um, And depending on the study that you're looking at, one in four, some even say now one in three, or one in five, I've read three different types of studies, and they have different that are struggling with mental illness, but whether it's one in five or one in three, that's way too many. Mm -hmm. And this isn't normal. And we don't need to accept this as the new normal. And we need to change the way that we are interacting with people. We have to change that so we can make a difference in this, in, in our kids and, and in our loved ones. We can change this. 
So give us some more context. How long ago was it that your daughter tried to take her life? It was probably five, maybe six years ago. So about 18 months, maybe it was five years ago, about 18 months after she had had her attempt, she decided to write a blog. Hmm. And so she wrote a blog on depression and her goal for writing this blog was to help people know they're not alone. And I think that's Mm. a big thing to help people know they're not alone in this and that they can get help. It's not They don't have to do this by themselves. In fact, they shouldn't do it by themselves. So she had asked me, so she goes, (laughs) Hey mom, how do you get a blog read? And I said, well, after you write it, why don't you put it on Facebook and it'll probably get read, you know, put it on your social media. And I should have asked the next question, what's your blog about? (laughs) But I didn't (laughs) think to ask it. And so I read her account of how she was feeling. And, um, you know, she really didn't go into the details of her attempt. uh, But she did detail her feelings surrounding this. And well, First of all, I I thought I was going to be sick when I read it. Mm. I mean, I I knew of all this, but I didn't know she was going to make this public. And you know, when someone feels like like you said, when they're kind of moving on through it, we're like, I'm thinking, good, we're over this. Let's not ever revisit that. I didn't want to look back, right? Mm. I didn't. But what that stirred in me a few days after I had read it, it took a little while. But what that stirred in me is, wow, I love the way that she's reaching out to help other her peers who are struggling. And then I thought, I wonder, perhaps maybe we should be reaching out to parents so that they know what's helpful and what's not helpful. So I, it was kind of scary. So I asked my daughter if she would be willing to um, collaborate with me if I wrote a book on this topic to help parents and she was all for it, but it was for me personally, the scariest undertaking I've done in writing something because I was so afraid that this would cause her to spiral back into Mm. her depression. And she reassured me that no, it didn't. So every time I'd ask her, which was fairly frequently, (laughs) she'd say, I'm okay, mom. And I can't even really relate to that person so much anymore. Wow. So you guys have come a long way as a a mother and a daughter. You've told us about some of the things we need to watch for if we have a loved one. But let's just say someone's listening right now. It doesn't matter whether they're a tribal elder and sit on tribal council. I mean, they could have these issues. It could be someone who's in an urban setting. They're they're disconnected from their native heritage. It may be someone who's not native at all, but This is a problem that humanity that we're dealing with globally and especially here in North America. So, Lori, talk to anyone right now who they see this, the the loved one, whether it's a child, whether it's a grandchild, their room is messy, they're withdrawing from people. What are they supposed to do at this point? So here's the really awful hard thing to do. 
to start asking some questions. But first, make sure that there's a connection. You are connecting with that person. One of the things that my daughter told me that was the most helpful thing for her is when people would check on her, would connect with her. Mm. And she didn't always respond well because she wasn't in a mental state to respond well, but that did mean a lot to her. So no matter the struggler's response to you, keep checking, keep coming alongside. No, Let them know there is zero shame in getting help. Getting help is a brave and a smart thing to do, not a shameful thing to do. So connection and reassurance, I think, are critical ways for us to respond. And then let's say that you do have a child in your home. This can go down to even really young ages, but typically around 15 to 21, typically. And let's say you have somebody at that particular age And you're worried about their mental health and you're worried that they have considered suicide. There are three questions. First, how are you doing today? So Mm. that you are specific about today, not just how are you doing? And they're like, I'm fine. (laughs) How are you doing today gives more opportunity for an honest, transparent response. Mm -hmm. If you're concerned that they are going to hurt themselves, ask I, and I know that almost makes you feel like that it's so scary to ask that question. But if you're thinking that, there's probably a good reason why you're thinking that. Mm-hmm. So you ask, have you considered taking your life? Okay. And then, and then here's the really awful one. After you've asked that question, then you can also ask the question, do you have a plan? And those last two questions let you know if you need to get help immediately. Um, if you're you're a little bit more on the fence and you're just noticing some things, depression and sadness aren't the same, right? Sadness can lead to depression, but sadness is always temporary. Grief is temporary. So if you can see that within grief, that your loved one can still find joy in some things. Let's say, tell a story about um, a loved one who has passed and, and laugh at that story. Then you know that this is a temporary thing and it's just grief. Wow, these are sobering things for us to consider, but very practical. Lori, we have to step away just briefly. We're going to be coming back with more on today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away. A lot more life-changing material right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. 
Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest is Lori Wildenberg. Lori is an author. She is uh, someone who knows what it's like to deal with depression and even suicidality, or suicidality, however you want to pronounce that, uh, right in her own home. Lori, you've got a lot of resources for folks, including some free resources. Tell us a little bit about how we can tap into some of those great materials you've pulled together. Oh, sure. If uh, someone would be interested in increasing or helping their child increase resiliency, which is one piece of the puzzle to mental health. It's not the whole thing, but it's a piece of the puzzle. If they would like to get that, um, go to lauriewildenberg.com slash resiliency and will Lori, L-O-R-I-W-I-L-D-E-N-B-E-R-G.com slash resiliency to get that material. Um, also, you know, the reason you've got me on the show, David, is is the book that was just written. And that's got 125 different ways that we can help build hope in our kids so that they aren't feeling so hopeless and helpless. And the, the title of the book is Messy Hope, Help Your Child Overcome Anxiety, Depression, or Suicidal Ideation. So Lori Wildenberg, L-O-R-I, and then the last name Wildenberg, W-I-L-D-E-N-B-E-R-G. So if you want to go to lauriwildenberg.com, they can get the book there. You've got other resources on the website. Is that correct? That's correct. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage you, if you're tuning in and you're engaging with Lori, 
to check that out. But uh, my understanding, Laurie, from what we spoke about off air is that we've got to put in that slash resiliency if we want to get that special handout. You can't just navigate to it on your website. Is that correct? That's true. If you want that particular piece of information, that particular resource, you need to put lauriewildenberg.com slash resiliency. Okay, we've got it. So Laurie, let's come back to your story. You have told us this kind of agonizing story in brief, but I think one of the things that a lot of listeners are wondering about is how did that all just play out when you became aware that your daughter had made an attempt on her life? Just tell us a little bit about you know the events surrounding that. Well, you know, I learned about it post, of course, but I had called her and she was at college, so four hours away from us. And I had called her to check on her because I was feeling very concerned about her. And she just didn't sound right. And so I said, I'm coming to your school tomorrow and I'm going to rent a hotel room. You and I can stay together and um, I'll be there as long as you need me. Well, that was the night that she had attempted to take her life, which it didn't work out. You know, I'm so thankful. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I didn't know about that right away. She did actually tell me a little bit later. Um, it was very hard to hear. At that point, it wasn't a huge surprise. I was really worried about leaving her at school when we felt like she was doing a little better. She came back home with us and we ended up going to her doctor which I think is really important because sometimes people need some assistance with this, with their depression. They are, it might be appropriate to have some sort of medical intervention. And then we also made a plan for her to get some counseling help. And when we felt like she was in a better place, she did go back to school and successfully finish the year. And we did connect every day. Wonderful, wonderful. So I'm trying to get this chronology, and I think a lot of my listeners are as well. So are you saying that when you went over to spend time with your daughter, when you drove you know, those four hours or whatever it was to the campus and took, out, took that hotel room, had your daughter already made that attempt before you even made that offer? I asked her, I was talking to her, and as I was talking to her, I told her, I'm, I'm going to come. And I believe that night before I got there, I think that was the night that mm. she attempted to take her life. It could have been the night before I knew that. I, I'll have to ask her because I it was such a blur and I was so concerned. And I did, you know, I called a couple of her friends to check on her. So there were a lot of things that, that were happening all at the same time mm -hmm. that we were really worried about her. And to me, why I think a lot of folks are interested in that chronology is because sometimes people ask, well, you know, coming close to people, you know, could that be threatening? You know, how this all plays out and fits into it? Because people are asking these questions. I mean, they're relating to you, Lori, because a lot of us deal with people, whether it's in our community, whether it's a, a blood relative, and we're saying, you know, what do we do? And we're trying to learn from your experience, from yeah. things that you did right, as well as things you say, well, maybe I should have done differently. And I think that's the other big question, because people are asking, as you've talked with your daughter after the fact, could you have done something differently? And if so, what lessons are there for everyone else? Yeah. 
Well, there's a lot of stuff I could have done differently. Also, if someone is quite serious about taking their life, they're probably going to attempt anyway. Mm. So, um, you know, even that one gal that I was talking about that Miss USA, you know, her mom was very involved in her life and, and she, it sounds like she did all the right things, Mm -hmm. but nevertheless, she was struggling with Chelsea was struggling with her mental health issues and her feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. So I think things that we can do that are helpful are to, there's some ways we can build hope in our kids, which we can talk about a little bit later. So Mm -hmm, remind mm -hmm. me to do that Mm -hmm. ways that we can let them know that getting help is a good and a smart thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a weakness. It's a strength. Those are things building that kind of attitude, you know, and I, and I always thought, you know, positivity, that's the way to go, right? Well, if you can imagine someone who's in deep, dark depression, and they're sharing that with you, and, and then you say something to the effect of, oh, well, you know, it could be worse, or that's not so bad. And, and I didn't say those things, but I, mm-hmm. I did say things that were like, um, oh, look at, you know, look at all the things you have going for you. You know, none of that is helpful. And in fact, what that does is it shuts down that conversation mm. because they feel discounted and they feel like you don't understand. And they also feel like you are not ready to hear their struggle. They need to know that you can deal with it. And so by asking those questions that we talked about earlier in the show, one of the things that that does is that takes the responsibility off the person who's wrestling with it and lets them know that you're ready to hear and that they don't have to worry about you. I think my daughter was worried about me, Hmm. that she didn't want me to worry about her. She wanted to be careful of my feelings. Well, Oh my goodness, right? She didn't need to protect me. I needed to be helping her and, right. and protect her. Yeah, I'm I appreciate the dialogue and I appreciate you letting me, you know, ask some of these questions that come into people's minds. But I really want to step back, Lori, because what I don't want to do in our dialogue and what I don't want any of my listeners to feel they need to do is to try to analyze themselves as to, you know, why someone else took their life. So this is not uh something about blaming anyone. I mean, this is a decision that a person made. And, you know, if you're concerned about someone who's taken their life, I mean, be thankful that you had that connection with them, that you tried to make that difference. And maybe you did. I mean, who knows what would have happened earlier or who knows what, how many other people might have been involved had you not been that supportive uh, person that you were. But sure, we can all look at ourselves, every one of us in every relationship, whether there's been a suicide attempt or not, we could say, yeah, we could have done things differently. But at the end of the day, this isn't about blame. It's about learning how we can move forward together and how we can grow. And I know you've been you know, sharing things in that spirit, Laurie. So can we come back to this topic of hope or is that we're we getting too deep into something that uh, takes us away from another storyline that we need to look at? I think building hope in our families is huge. And we have this idea that we have to be independent and do all these things on our own and fix our own problems. But that's not what we're meant to do. We we're human beings and we've been created to be in relationship. 
that community and family, that is what's really important. And, and when we have the attitude that asking for help and receiving help is a good thing, then we are going to be more likely to be open to hearing somebody who needs help and reaching out or asking for it ourselves. And I think that's one of the most critical things. People are feeling so alone that that is one of the best things we can do to build hope is for us to know that reaching out for help or asking for help, receiving help, those are really good things. Being someone who helps, that helping and connecting are huge. This is such great information. We want to talk about things that can help make that more of a a culture in your relationships, how we can uh, feel more open about asking for help, but also how we can build on that and talk about how we can instill hope in uh, other members of our family, other members of our community, members of your tribe, members in your workplace. So we want to look at this whole equation because we want to focus on prevention. What can we do to bolster our coping skills, bolster our resiliency. We're going to talk about that and more as we come back with our next segment. Don't go away, Dr. David DeRose with Lori Wildenberg right after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org. Or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov slash support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, Ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov slash meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. 
Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose with Lori Wildenberg. We're speaking about anxiety, about depression, and about how it can impact us, our families, our communities. Lori Wildenberg is an author. She is the author of a book called Messy Hope. Lori, for those who might just be joining us, tell us a little bit about that book. Give us a little recap. Yeah, well, the book was written um, because my daughter uh, had wrestled with um, depression and had uh, a failed suicide attempt. And she actually, her voice is sprinkled throughout the book. And she provides a lot of insight into feelings that someone who is deep in depression is going through and things for us to watch out for. And there's lots of strategies in the book that will help build hope in the family system, in the community, um, so that, you know, when sadness comes, which it will, it doesn't lead to depression. No, I really appreciate your undertaking. In fact, the book is getting a lot of positive press. I know it's uh, received at least one award. I heard about it from one of the networks that carries our show, which is Life Talk Radio. Mm -hmm. So uh, congratulations on not only putting something out there, but also, uh, you know, getting some great reviews and having people really engage with the content. And thank you for sharing with us. We want to talk more about these practical strategies and especially about this topic of hope. The reason why it's so important to me, Lori, as I've worked throughout Indian country over the years, many times as I've talked with tribal leaders, one of the things that they identify in populations and in segments of their population is just what people in any community talk about today, just this seeming epidemic of hopelessness. Uh, It's easy to happen. Uh, I've seen it with uh, conditions as diverse as diabetes, uh, other family histories where it seems like you're just destined to have problems as you get older. Tell us how we can have hope in the midst of a world that sometimes, uh, well, seems to give us plenty of reasons to be less than hopeful. You know, you hit exactly on the thing I wanted to mention, which is, you know, life is full of the unexpected, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the the health issues, um, job loss, people we love dying. I mean, mm-hmm. life is full of the unexpected. That's where we live life. And I think so often we expect life to go smoothly and perfectly. And uh, the whole COVID thing, I think, sort of shook that narrative up a little bit. But still, there's this idea and social media very much contributes to this idea of the I deserve happiness, Hmm. that whole deal. And yes, we all want happy. Happy is great. Who could ever argue against happy, but we're also going to be sad and we're going to be fearful and we're going to be angry. I mean, we're going to have some of these basic emotions because that's living a full life. And I'm not so sure that we have prepared our young people to live a full life, to expect that the unexpected could happen. Mm. So I think talking about, as I had mentioned earlier, that reality is more important than positivity. Our kids need real from us. And and Jesus even says that um, 
you know, in this world, you will have trouble. That's true. And he take heart, I've overcome the world. So yeah, we are going to have trouble in this world. And to have the idea and be not in the sense that we're waiting for the next shoe to drop, not like that, but just to realize that life is filled with with good things and with hard things and with bad things and with messy things. And that's part of it. No, I love this message because I think a lot of times people get discouraged if they have a narrative or a script and when that script doesn't uh, materialize, I mean, that can be devastating to people. And so I think your, your message is, is right on point and that is helping our young people, helping our grandkids, our children, nephews, nieces, whatever they might be, other people in the tribe or the community to realize that, yes, we can have aspirations, we can strive to accomplish things, and we can, but there's going to be setbacks, there's going to be challenges. As a physician, Lori, I often talk with people who are going through different health crises, and I'll say something like, progress doesn't mean you're better every day than the one before. So we make progress, then we have some setbacks, but it's the overall trajectory and I think sometimes we don't share that narrative and people find themselves in, in the midst of one of those setbacks and thinks, you know, they think it's all over, right? Yes. I think we want to be careful that disappointment doesn't lead to despair. Hmm. And yeah, it can lead to despair. If you've been told all your life, all you have to do is dream it and it will happen. Well, that's not true. You know, that, that's not true at all. I sure would have dreamt to be uh, an Olympic gymnast. That didn't happen. <laughs> so, you know, disappointment will come along the way. And that's part of life. And with resiliency, um, to be able to deal with disappointment, to persevere through the hard things, that's one piece of the puzzle that actually helps build hope. And there are some things that we can do. Is it okay if I, I speak to that resiliency a little bit? I'd love for you to do that, Lori, especially because you alerted me during this show to something I was oblivious to before we started the interview, and that is if I go to your website and make sure I've got this correct, it's simply Lori. Wildenberg, it's L-O-R-I for Lori, Wildenberg, W-I-L-D-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. I can go there and I can connect with your book, Messy Hope, I can get other information. But if I remember to put in LoriWildenberg.com slash resiliency, I can get some of these tips uh, of which you're going to share from right now. Have I got that straight? Yes, I'll share a few because I don't want to take up the whole time with, with that, but I'll share a few. Um, you know, encourage problem solving in your kiddos as as they're going along. When they run into an issue, rather than rescue, come alongside and encourage them to find some problem solving ways. And if those ways don't work out, that's okay. They gave it a shot, right? And to mm -hmm. have the attitude that failure isn't bad, failure is just a it demonstrates, it shows that you gave it a try and then you need to come up with a different, a different way. And that's good. And for them to start figuring out some stuff without us fixing it all the time, um, encourage delayed gratification. And that's, that sounds kind of simple, but it really is, does lead to resiliency that you can't always 
get everything you want right at that very moment and have have your kiddos uh you know work for something they want or or maybe little ones have to wait for a birthday or christmas i don't know some sort of gift giving time for something that they want so to encourage that delayed gratification and flexible thinking is really important especially when disappointment comes along okay this thing didn't work out didn't work out now what and that also leads to problem solving And I do think reducing social media, and my daughter um, would really agree with this, that she was really starting to spiral down even more when she would engage on social media. And she has found that reducing her time on social media has actually been very positive for her mental health. So those are a few things that I think really help with resiliency. One of the things I really resonated with, Lori, that you shared had to do with how we deal with adversity, failure. One of the things I like to quote to patients over the years when they're dealing with addictions, we have worked with a lot of people who were addicted to commercial tobacco. And of course, in Indian country, you know, we often talk about a a difference between people that are just sporadically using tobacco ceremonially and those that are addicted, you know, usually to commercial tobacco products. But uh, in working with people who've had nicotine addiction, I've often told them, because the literature supports this, is that instead of looking at failure as uh, multiple events that say you just can never be successful, every time you fail, you can gain insights that can help you be successful the next time. And there's actually some literature that suggests the more times you've tried to quit and failed, the more likely you are to be successful the next time. Some people might say, well, that's self-evident, but I would just say it's a, it's a different way of framing things where failure is part of the strategy to success. And I really sense that that's something that you've been trying to cultivate in your educational efforts. Yes, for sure. Because what is the best way for us to learn is to mess it up (laughs) the first time or maybe the third time. But yeah, that is the best way for us to learn. So the book is entitled Messy Hope. And I think some of my listeners are still trying to wrap their minds around, well, what is this messy hope? They like the word hope. You've talked some about that, but why is it messy? Well, if you think about hope, hope always comes, is sort of birthed from a struggle, right? Hmm. And that's when hope rises. It rises from the mess. And, And we really don't need hope when things seem to be going pretty well. But we sure do need it when things aren't going well. So that's why messy hope. Hope comes from the mess. Well, you've got a lot of folks who are resonating with what you've been sharing, Lori, and they're going to, I'm sure a lot of folks are going to probably jump on to lauriewildenberg.com. I am planning to go there and get that resiliency handout. I'm actually giving some public lectures, believe it or not, right now on the theme of resiliency. So I'm interested to see uh, some of what you're sharing there. But um, let's talk about another topic that you uh, have touched on several times in this, this whole area of getting help. And, and I guess part of the reason why I want to talk a little bit more about it is because you've mentioned this real dichotomy that people face when they're going through mental adversity. They often withdraw. They're less likely to ask for help. So how do we help people get help? Can you speak to that a little bit? I think, first of all, just have the attitude that this is a smart and good thing. 
there can be various things that are chemical imbalances or PTSD. You know, there's all kinds of things that can contribute to, you know, some mental health issues. And if there is no shame attached to that, and if you can say, I'm here for you, would you like me to look up some, you know, places to go? I will go with you. I think this is really important. You are precious to me. Let's get this taken care of so that you can feel better, that you can get through this and not be dealing with this heavy load day after day. And getting help can be a lifeline. And it could be something that pulls that person up out of the muck. It most likely will. And professional help is one of the best things to do for this because depression is easily treated. It's treatable. And we don't have to sit in it. We can move through it and get out of it. No, Lori, I I so appreciate you emphasizing that. And as a primary care provider, sometimes I'm in that role of being the first person who deals with the depression or the anxiety. We we do want to talk more about anxiety uh, before we finish up the show. But yes, there are so many different options. And um, I'm thinking of a patient I dealt with recently first kind of uh, strategies we explored didn't make uh, a, a difference positively, but then we were able to find some that do. So if you're in the midst of these challenges, if you're tuning in today and you're saying, I'm dealing with this, I've got loved ones dealing with it, hang in there. There is room for hope. We've got a lot more coming up. We've got one final segment. We're going to tackle anxiety and other issues with Lori Wildenberg. Stay by. I'm Dr. DeRose. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. 
My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose with my guest, Lori Wildenberg. She's been very open sharing her own life's journey and her life's journey that really involves intimately her daughter who tried to take her own life some uh, five years ago. They are now channeling that uh, tragedy into productivity, making a difference in people's lives. Lori has written the book, Messy Hope. We've been talking about it. Lori, but there's often something that goes along with depression. Sometimes before anyone ever sees any signs of depression, they recognize that someone has a tendency to anxiety. Tell us a little bit about your daughter's story. Was that something that uh, you noticed in her? Yeah, um, anxiety can also be tied into um, eating disorders. Mm. And she actually had an eating disorder for a while. Um, That's how that anxiety came out. And again, all of these things are so closely linked. So if you've got someone who has an eating disorder or um, somebody that you're noticing gets particularly um, frozen or flushed, in a social situation, that could be an indication of anxiety. And to watch for that, because those things can all be interrelated, where then you can end up having depression and depression untreated can lead to suicide, or suicidal ideation. And I have an example of myself um, having a panic attack. Mm. And that it doesn't feel good. It's And I've read that um, in our lives, most people will have at least one panic attack, which I didn't realize. But um, we were on a family vacation at Lake Powell. And Lake Powell is sort of, if you haven't been there, it's sort of like the Grand Canyon filled with water. Okay. So there's like, there's cliffs there and, um, you know, it's huge and we were in our boat and we saw this one spot where people were jumping off the cliffs into the water. And from the boat, that looked like a lot of fun. (laughs) But when we got there and the kids, you know, our four kids were all about jumping off this cliff into the water, which looked like fun initially until we got there. And so they all clambered out and were climbing on these. And I am telling you, David, slippery rocks. Okay. It was red, slippery rocks. <laughs> and they're like little mountain goats, right? They're climbing these rocks. And I got to this one place on the, and I, now I'm even sweating now talking about it. So <laughs> we got to this one spot at Lake Powell and I fear big fear overcame me. And I was like, okay, no one is jumping off of these rocks. This is too high. The waves are too big. And we're just going to get splattered up against the rocks if we jump in. And so no one's jumping. And they, they were okay with that. They were disappointed. But my husband included, they're all like running around around me. And I was so scared. I was seated plastered on the rock 
like I could hardly move. And they didn't realize I was in full panic mode. They didn't realize this. And so then they, you know, all ran, basically ran down these slippery rocks to get back in the boat. And I, I could hardly move. It was all I could do to crab walk. I crab walked, you know, (laughs) foot by foot, hand by hand down, down the rock. And that experience was something that I will never forget. And anxiety does not feel good. And anxiety can lead to a panic attack. And since that time, I have now developed kind of a fear of heights. Hmm. And there are some things that we can do to, um, to reduce anxiety and things that I've been trying. So uh, one thing, and this is only for the person who is willing to do this. One thing we can do is called flooding is to put yourself in that situation and practice. Now I wouldn't recommend saying to someone who's got anxiety, you need to put yourself in that scary place and practice Mm. that that has to come from the the person who, who wants to do it. But if you are there with um, someone who could support you, for instance, after this experience, a couple of years later, my husband and two of our younger girls, we were down at the Royal Gorge, which is like a mini Grand Canyon. And there's a zip line that it's down in, I think, not Manitou Springs. It's south of Colorado Springs. And um, there's a zip line that goes across this crazy canyon. And they all, all three of them wanted to do it. And I thought, I'm not going to let this fear stop me. And I ended up having to be the first one. And I, I went across, I was scared to death. I was hanging on to the cables so hard that I had little nail marks in my hands for hours. But, and of course my girls went across and they have their arms splayed out, you know, and they're just like buckled in. I don't even know how they did that, but that's what flooding is, is going through. Now I can check that one off my bucket list. I did that. I'm not doing that again, but (laughs) to put yourself in the position. So that's one thing you can do. Um, There are a number of other things that we can do to reduce anxiety, something called grounding, which I'm sure in your practice, you're quite familiar with. And grounding would be to keep yourself noticing things around you so that you stop focusing on the fear that's causing that anxiety. Maybe pick out five things to look at maybe three things to hear, use your senses, a couple things to touch or to feel, pick those things out and notice those. And that is something that can also help. There's one thing that really works pretty well. And here you are a physician, you know, this too, this was news to me, the vagus nerve, stimulate Mm. that. And one way to do that, um, it's the nerve that's kind of by your vocal cords. And one way to do that is to hum and that reduces your stress. Who knew? (laughs) And you can do that anywhere. Breathing, you know, breathing techniques are also quite helpful. And I suppose breathing into a paper bag is good too, but we don't necessarily haul around with a paper bag. So hum or do some slow breathing, inhale through the nose, exhale through the mouth. Those are some things that can help in the middle of a very anxious moment. Well, a lot of people appreciate hearing from someone who's really struggled with severe anxiety in in a few settings, uh, hearing some of the pointers that have helped you. So definitely uh, thank you so much, Lori, for sharing from your own personal experience, from the story that you and your daughter and your family have kind of navigated, especially over the last half decade or so. 
Before we finish up, uh, there's folks that want to connect with you. They want to get your book. They want to take advantage of some of your free materials. Tell us again how we can do all of that. Sure. Um, go to my website, lauriewildenberg.com, L-O-R-I-W-I-L-D-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. Um, I'm also all over social media, um, <laughs> as I'm telling people to reduce their time on social media, but you can easily find me on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, you can also, um, I also lead a group called Moms Together, and I have the Moms Together Facebook page and group where um, moms are very encouraging and supportive of one another. And that's a really good place for moms and grandmoms to join. So you can find me in a lot of places on the internet. So if someone is on Facebook and they put in Moms Together, and if they have trouble with that, just stick in Wildenberg, will that uh, clinch it or not? I don't know. That's a good question. You could go to my Facebook page, um, Lori Wildenberg, and I do have a link to Moms Together there. But if you put in Moms Together, and it's a it's under Community, uh, there, there you'll find the Moms Together page. And also on that page, you can click on to join the group. So the page has like, I don't know, 22,000 people that have liked it. So you'll be able to identify uh -huh. which is the page and which is the group. The group you have to join. And there's a little over 2,000 people in the group. Okay, well, great. We appreciate all the ways that you're trying to support people who are going through similar journeys. And the other thing that I love, you've got the book, but you're also trying to put free resources in people's hands. Uh, tell us, for some who may have just joined us, you've got this free handout on resiliency. Tell us one more time how we can get that. Sure. So plug in lauriewildenberg.com, add the slash and resiliency, and you should come to what's called a landing page where you sign up to get that, and then it will be emailed to you. Great. Lori, you have such a wealth of experience, and I'm so thankful that you took something that, well, honestly, has overwhelmed many people, many families. You've taken that and translated it into something that you're using to give back, to help other people, to help uh, people navigate this journey when you're dealing with a loved one. They've tried to take their life and not have that be the end of your relationship, uh, but really be the beginning of a springboard to something more. Before we say goodbye, any final words of, of advice for my listeners? I think we always have to remember connection mm. and connecting is a huge piece of providing hope to one another. So reach out, connect. And if you're noticing somebody is not responding as much, keep trying, keep reaching out. Lori Wildenberg, thank you so very much. Thank you, David. It's been a joy to be on here with you. Well, it's time to leave and it's time to encourage you to put these things into practice. For all of us, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.